Do you feel the need? The need to sit on your couch and watch another made-for-streaming movie? Well, don't. Run, don't walk to your nearest IMAX theater to watch the movie that has been 36 years in the making, Top Gun Maverick. This movie, obviously, absolutely lives up to the hype. Welcome to I Thought I'd Be Rich By Now, the place for millennial women to obsess. I'm your host, Deborah. If you like this little podcast, please rate and review. It's what Tom Cruise would want you to do. If you're listening to this, there's already a very high chance that you've seen Top Gun 2 Maverick. Tom Cruise, one of the last remaining movie stars, the very best action star, reprises his role of Captain Pete Mitchell, aka Maverick, the iconic performance that would follow him for the rest of his career. This will have a few small spoilers, but nothing big, I promise. This is not a review or a recap of the storyline. The storyline itself was pretty good, as you can imagine, and did keep me on the edge of my seat when they were figuring out how to complete their mission, if it could be done, etc. But the storyline is just in service of watching a super big, super over-the-top movie with beautiful people and fighter jets. This is just going to be me screaming at you that movies are back, Tom Cruise saves the day again, It's my general happiness about seeing a huge movie that's not about superheroes and reminds us all what box office hits can be like, how fun they can be, how over the top, and how we all need this right now. This movie had everything. Insane fighter jet stunts, Jennifer Connelly, and best of all, they had a football beach scene. The volleyball scene from the original Top Gun is obviously iconic. A young Tom Cruise, Val Kilmer, and Rick Rosevich all oiled up, flexing their ripped bodies, and oh man, the beach scene in Top Gun Maverick was horny as hell. For some reason, that's the scene that seems to be the one that I can recall at like any time of the day in full detail. Right after the movie ended and I left the theater like legitimately in the parking lot. I added the song from the beach scene to my playlist so that I can listen to it over and over and relive those glorious two minutes in my head. It was I Ain't Worried by One Republic. If you don't know the song, just wait to watch the movie so your brain has the song tethered with that scene for eternity. But I need to stop thinking about the beach scene and get back to business. Captain Mitchell, a.k.a. Maverick, is called back to Top Gun for a super classified dangerous mission. Maverick thinks he's being asked to fly, but is instead told he's actually going to be training an elite group of aviators. From this group, Maverick will have to choose a handful of the cream of the crop of these pilots to fly this mission. All of these students are already the best of the best and are super cocky and vying for position on this team. One of the students happens to be someone near and dear to Maverick. Lieutenant Bradley Bradshaw, a.k.a. Rooster, played by Miles Teller. Rooster is following in the steps of his own father, who happens to be Maverick's former wingman, Nick Bradshaw, otherwise known as Goose. As we all know from the first Top Gun, super spoiler if you haven't watched that one, but Goose dies in the end, which was devastating for Maverick and Goose's family. There is clearly a tension between Maverick and Rooster as Maverick plays the father type role of looking out for Rooster, but Nick has no time for him. 
Tom Cruise and Jennifer Connelly look amazing in this movie. I've seen a few episodes here and there of the Snowpiercer TV show that she stars in on Netflix. It's a serious dystopian sci-fi drama. I can't say that I've seen tons of Jennifer Connelly movies, but I always think of her as a serious drama type actor. In Top Gun Maverick, Jennifer's character, Penny Benjamin, is introduced to us as a woman from Maverick's past. They have flirty banter and fun together. It was nice and different to see Jennifer Connelly in a fun role like this. Also, of course, her character is there to support Tom Cruise's role and give him more layers, make him a bit more interesting. But it's not just a little nothing role, if you know what I mean. You know how they can often throw in like a love interest for a huge star where you don't hear an original thought from her. This typically much younger than the main male star actor is usually written in a way where she doesn't stand out that much. She's only there in service of being the woman who looks to the sky, scared as her fighter pilot lover goes on a dangerous mission and is there to welcome him home into her arms as he returns. If this was the type of role that Penny ended up being, I don't think a lot of people would be surprised, but it was so refreshing and nice to see that it wasn't that type of role. And I don't think at this point in her long career, Jennifer Connelly would take a role like that anyways, even if it was for something as huge as Top Gun. And obviously it would be totally fine if she did, but I was pleasantly surprised to have enjoyed watching her and Tom in their scenes together. As I said, Miles Teller plays Rooster and I was happy to finally watch Miles in something. No, I've never seen two of his other really big hits, Whiplash or War Dogs, which I'm more interested in going back to watch now, but there has been big hype around Miles Teller for the last few years. Since I haven't seen him in anything before, I really didn't know what the hype was about, but after watching this film, I can see it. Miles Teller does have some star quality to him, and he's fun to watch on screen. Listen, he played opposite Tom Cruise and didn't disappear on screen, so that says something about how well he did in this role. If Miles' character Rooster plays the new Maverick for a younger audience, then Glenn Powell's character Hangman is like the new Iceman. As you know, Iceman, played by Val Kilmer in the original Top Gun, was Maverick's foe. Maverick and Iceman were the two best pilots, always jockeying to be considered the best at Top Gun. In this new iteration, it's Rooster and Hangman swinging their you-know-whats around trying to get attention of the one man who can make or break their career, Maverick. You'll know Glenn Powell as he has been around for a while, most famously from Set It Up and Hidden Figures. Glenn totally gives me Chris Evans vibes and was an excellent choice to play a handsome, egotistical a-hole who isn't completely irredeemable. Monica Barbaro, Jay Ellis, Louis Pullman, Greg Tarzan, and Danny Ramirez play some of the other elite pilots at Top Gun. If you watch The L Word, Arian Mandy, aka Danny Nunez, looks so much like Monica Barbaro, who plays Phoenix in Top Gun 2. I actually had to look it up because like, I knew it wasn't her, but I'm like, are they related? Are they sisters? They look so much alike. I was also so happy to see Jay Ellis from Insecure get the role of Payback in this film. I hope he absolutely blows up as a movie actor. As you may know, Insecure, 
the HBO comedy, which is one of my favorite shows, period, just recently came to an end. So for me, Jay Ellis will always be Lawrence, a.k.a. Issa's Big Love, a.k.a. Spoiler, Condola's baby father. But I hope his star continues to rise. Last thing about Top Gun Maverick. You don't have to be into fighter jets or anything like that to love this movie and to have so much fun watching it. All of the stunts, all of the action is super impressive. It was designed that way. There will be no dull moments. Was I primed to love this movie from years of being brainwashed by a certain person who is obsessed with the original Top Gun and Tom Cruise? Has an over two-year pandemic where I barely got to see a movie in theaters made me desperate for a few hours of joy? Absolutely. I'll never deny any of this, but it doesn't change the fact that this movie will make you happy and remind you of the old times. I love a good low-budget show. Low-budget movies are iffy. A low-budget TV show, as long as it has a supernatural element, I am there. I think I've mentioned it before, but when I was younger and flipping through the channels, I would pass a clearly low budget and or Canadian sci-fi show because there was no such thing as a high budget Canadian sci-fi show in the 90s. I would just quickly flip past that channel as I imagined I could never be into something that looked so fake. It must be a terrible show. Who would watch that? Well, apparently the adult version of myself because I have really learned to love these types of shows and that's why I knew I had to watch First Kill on Netflix. And no, it doesn't look as low budget as I'm making it out to be, but if you're comparing it to certain vampire shows from HBO and certain vampire movies that millions and millions of young and old women were obsessed with for years... It can't quite compare to those. All that you really need to know is that this is a lesbian vampire, Romeo and Juliet, but instead it's Calliope and Juliet. Calliope, the teenage daughter of monster hunters who hunt and destroy all kinds of underworld creatures, is currently attending high school in Savannah, Georgia. Savannah is in her home, though. Her family only stays in one place for a few months at a time as they travel the country adopting new identities to hunt down the non-human creatures they view as the enemy. Calliope, also known as Cal, wants to join her family as a full-fledged hunter instead of the lookout on their missions, but can't as she still hasn't made her first official kill yet. She's frustrated because she wants to complete her first kill, but her family members don't quite think she's there yet and are more focused on keeping her out of harm's way. Attending Calliope's high school is another 16-year-old girl, Juliet. Calliope doesn't know it yet, but Juliet is harboring a major crush on her. Juliet is dealing with some family tension of her own. Unbeknownst to even her closest friends, Juliet and her family are not only vampires, they're legacy vampires, which essentially means their lineage goes way back, and they are amongst the strongest vampires, and they have some special skills, including being able to be out when the sun is up, which makes it much easier to blend in with their community. At her age, Juliet's family are expecting her to finally make 
her first kill as a vampire. Instead, Juliet takes blood supplements to help ward off her ever-increasing hunger for blood. She has something that really irritates her family, a moral compass, which really turns her off from wanting to hurt other people even as her blood hunger becomes stronger. Juliet finally has the chance to get to know Calliope, and both young women feel a strong attraction to one another, mixed in with unease and suspicion. Spoiler alert ahead. At a party, they end up in a closet together on a dare, resulting in a little makeout session. Their attraction and need to achieve their own respective first kill results in Juliet biting Calliope's neck as Calliope, who had begun to suspect that Juliet was a vampire, stabs Juliet in the chest with a wooden stake. Their little lusty murder closet is only the beginning for these two. Obviously, neither die, as this happens early on in the show. What comes next is two confused teens who are falling madly in love with the type of person their parents told them to be wary of and even kill if they got the opportunity. Their little monster love story results in the fury of their families and community of humans who are waking up to the fact that they have been infiltrated by monsters. The community ends up reacting exactly how you think they would. First Kill is my new favorite Supernatural show. This was a fun ride with some predictable plot points, which absolutely did not take away from how much I enjoyed watching it. I had not seen most of the actors of the show before, so most of them are newcomers to me. Amani Lewis plays Cal and Sarah Catherine Cook plays Juliet. Elizabeth Mitchell, who you will know from Lost and The Expanse, plays a legacy vampire and also Juliet's mom. I've really liked her since her lost days, so I was happy to see her in this, and playing a powerful vampire definitely matches up with Elizabeth's whole look and poise. I found Aubin Wise really impressive in her role as a monster hunter and Cal's mother. This was the first time that I had ever seen her in anything, but I just found out that she was actually in Hamilton on Broadway. I want to say that she reminds me of Zoe Kravitz as an adult, which is ridiculous because Zoe Kravitz is a fully grown woman, but she's so tiny and she always looks like a teenager. Aubin and Zoe don't look exactly alike. They just kind of have that same aesthetic and killer cheekbones. If you want a highbrow brooding vampire show, go elsewhere. First Kill is for people like me that enjoy a good teen drama with a dash of fantasy and monsters. We're going to go a little old school, old school back to my college days. So here is your entertainment news report. Seriously, like three to four weeks ago, I started slowly watching Made for Love on Amazon Prime. I'm still in the first season and there are only two seasons. What was just announced? HBO Max is canceling the show, which is so annoying because it's a really fun original comedy. Made for Love stars Kristen Milioti, Billy Magnuson, and Ray Romano. Kristen starred in one of my favorite episodes of Black Mirror, the USS Callister, alongside another scene-stealing actor, Jesse Plemons. Also, Kristen Milioti stars alongside Andy Samberg in a really entertaining rom-com sci-fi comedy, Palm Springs. In Made for Love, Kristen plays Hazel, a woman who is married to Byron Gogol, played by Billy Magnuson, 
Byron Gogol is a tech billionaire who has himself and his wife Hazel housed in a state-of-the-art facility for his work that also doubles as their home, which neither have left in 10 years. Their very weird and awkward marriage goes south when Byron wants to unveil a new tech device he has designed that couples could have implanted in each other's brains so that there could virtually be no secrets between them. Made for Love was a gem of a show, and it sucks that they've canceled it. I always find it hard to finish watching a show once I know it's being canceled. I hate that. I wish I had just binged it before they announced the cancellation. To me, watching a show like this feels like investing in a relationship that has an expiration date. Like, you can't have as much fun imagining what will happen next, especially when watching what we now know is the final season, because you're never going to get the ending you want. I've literally watched seasons and episodes of shows over and over again, so I'm sure I should be able to just do it, but it's sad. If you want to watch Made for Love, you can find it on HBO Max and Amazon Prime. RIP to Made for Love and the cast and crew who I'm sure are super bummed about this news. Warner Brothers recently released a photo of Ryan Gosling that spread around the world seemingly in under two hours. A shirtless, oiled up, bleached hair Ryan Gosling as Ken, Barbie's famous boy toy, was released by the production company to get us even more excited than we already are to see Greta Gerwig's Barbie movie. The pick is the over-the-top goodness that you want from a Barbie movie. In more Top Gun Maverick news, the blockbuster just surpassed the $900 million mark and, according to The Hollywood Reporter, is Tom Cruise's biggest moneymaker ever. And most important of all, Beyonce just gifted us a new house banger, Break My Soul. I wish I had the funds to play it now, but I do not. So go listen, enjoy, embrace happiness. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow us on Instagram at I Thought I'd Be Rich by Now. And please rate and review. Summer is really here. Blockbusters are back and Beyonce's back. Go enjoy. Goodbye. Goodbye.